umgoblue.com by fans for fans since 1999 hello welcome to this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast this is phil callahan along with clint derringer and we're here to talk about the end of spring practice michigan football marked the end of spring practice by having a scrimmage at Michigan Stadium, and although fans, the general fans, weren't able to attend, family and friends were in attendance. So, Clint, what are your thoughts in what we've heard about uh, how spring practice has gone? Well, I think first, most critically, is is health-related, both, um, you know, starting with the pandemic and the COVID issues. We haven't heard of any major pauses or, or, or the the program having to stop activities because of that. And uh, that's good. You know, the way that the 2020 season ended obviously was a, was a struggle uh, with that. So to, to not have that be the the main focus and bad news is, is obviously a good thing. And then normal football injuries that can occur. We, we haven't heard of anybody um, in any new injuries, you know, some, some folks are rehabbing and, and there were some folks that were sitting out, uh, but I think uh, we, we got through relatively unscathed in terms of, of catastrophic injuries. So from a health standpoint, I think that's good, and that's that's probably the major risk or the concern um, program-wise. Uh, for this team, obviously, that you got a new defense um, getting installed, new staff kind of getting to know each other, so there's a lot of, uh, lot of balls being juggled at the same time. So... I think you would expect a lot of hiccups um, uh, in a process like that. And uh, I, I think that there have been a lot of hiccups. Um, the, a lot of the feedback that does trickle out of Shem Beckler has been that the uh, the offense is, you know, well ahead of the defense, which, again, follows uh, anybody that was being logical. But, um, you know, it, it's still concerning. It's still concerning and and just a lot of anxiety around how well uh, how well we're going to be able to integrate the, the defense uh, in a first year, first year first time coordinator and uh, a lot of new coaches in new spots. So we will uh, we'll see. Um, I like I like the way that a lot of the 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 X's and O's that do trickle out um, kind of kind of play out and what we've seen from the defense. I think that personnel wise, there's a lot of alignment with uh, the talent that, that Michigan has on the defensive side of the ball and the, the body types and structures that they have. So I think they can fill the spots that they need and, and be successful, but um, the feedback matches what you would expect, and, and it, it was a rocky spring for the defense. You know, it's interesting because generally speaking, it's usually reversed, right? Usually it's the offense that is trying to catch up and get in sync and, uh, you know, and again, that's just a, a general, uh, you know, overall observation of when teams get together that, you know, the defense will come together a little bit quicker and, uh, you know, the offense is trying to install new plays and trying to integrate players. What we're hearing out of Schembechler Hall this spring is the exact opposite. So, so that's interesting. So on one hand, it's good to hear that the offense is getting in gear. Um, you know, the concern that I've had, in hearing coaches and players talk about the defense is I think that it makes a lot of sense that they're trying to install 
really more of an NS, an NFL type scheme, right? Um, I think we're we're going to see things where players need to shift between positions depending on formation and and player group. The challenge there is, do you have the talent to be able to do that? So one of the things that we uh, observed, um, in, you know, in the Don Brown defense is that the Viper was a critically important uh, position, right? You needed a player who could shift between, um, you know, cover from side to side, um, have really good size, really good speed. And really the, the, the key, the key driver of a Don Brown defense was him having a dude, as he would call it, at Viper. And, you know, uh, Viper position got a lot of publicity and a lot of interest because really it was the key that made the whole engine go, right? What I think I'm hearing about uh, the defense is that you're going to have multiple players who are going to be important and have to go side to side and, and shift positions, right? So the the question that comes to mind, and, and, and this is specifically, you know, there were players talking about, well, what kind of tape do you watch? Oh, well, we're watching, you know, a lot from the Ravens, a lot from, you know, what uh, Mike McDonald did when he was in the NFL. And, you know, that that concerns me a little bit because, you know, it, it's easier to work with NFL players, right? It's, it's, you've, you've uh, not, you don't really recruit, you draft the exact players and you sign the players that can do what you need. Right. So it, it's going to be interesting to me how you translate that, not only to the talent that Michigan currently has on the roster, but the, uh, the average talent of, of collegiate players. So, you know, we've talked a lot about how the changes in the staff um, are, we believe, a driving point behind the changes in the staff is to get younger and to um, help prepare these guys, um, you know, potentially to uh, go on to the NFL, right? So it's interesting that this this defense, is it sounds to me, is becoming more NFL-like, but... How quickly can we be? Can Michigan be successful at the collegiate level with that, um, with not having, uh, you know, kind of a gap in recruiting, right? Because he came in, um, you know, kind of at the end of the cycle, and you have a lot of guys on the roster who were uh, tuned and, and recruited under the under the last system. So that's one of the questions I have: is how quickly this defense can be molded to be effective collegiately. Yeah, it's a it's a valid point. It's not just a talent fit, but the the amount of time and energy and resources that you can dedicate towards football is different between um, college and the the practice hours um, and the NCAA regulations. On top of uh, you know when it's your profession, obviously they're a lot more committed to to learning new schemes and they can go to to more in depth. So. It's a, it's a challenge. Again, it's not an unknown challenge. None of this is a surprise, um, but it is, it's a little bit discouraging to hear that, uh, you know, it's been a major uh, a, a sticking point or, or, or it's been a little bit rocky um, in terms of especially run fits, right, which is um, specifically what your, what your responsibility or gap is as a defensive player against the running game. Um, it is nice to hear that some of the running backs are, are breaking some long runs. It's nice to hear that the uh, the offensive line is moving some people from an offensive standpoint. But uh, a lot of that, I think, right now 
is is and should be chalked up to bad run fits on defense, and that's that's typically uh, just not quite understanding exactly how your your piece of the puzzle fits with the rest of the defense. So uh, it's not unexpected, but it, it's it's going to be a little bit mentally swimming right now for players. And um, the next major phase here, as we get in, as spring turns into summer is where it's going to be critical for for player leaders especially seniors to to take a leadership role and 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 not only put in the extra work for themselves to kind of solidify what their role is in this defense and and be as flexible as possible but also to encourage some of those player-led activities that can help really uh increase the depth of understanding for the players because um the restrictions on player and coach uh interaction through the summer is is it's pretty tight so a lot of the ground gained or anything that they gain in terms of experience uh through the summer months is going to be mostly player led so uh we're we're really going to have to lean hard on on the leaders that are in that locker room well and i think one of the questions there is going to be you know often those leaders are instilling things they've learned in the previous years down to the newer players, right? So the question is, how how effective has the download of the new defense been to those defensive leaders? And it's it's going to be interesting to see, and, you know, and again, it, it's, you know, I, I'm disappointed that, you know, I didn't get a chance to attend the spring game, uh, you know, especially after missing uh, – you know, a whole season of in-person games due to COVID. It would have been really great if, uh, you know, it would have been really great to have that opportunity. And I don't know how much we could have seen, but I know that, um, you know, on the rare occurrence where we're able to see practices or when we do get to see the spring practices, one of the things I focus on are the drills they're doing, right? We didn't really get to see that this year. So, I'm I'm really interested, uh, you know. Again, I, I've I'm waited I'm waiting with bated breath to see, um, you know, what we're going to see when the season starts up because there's so many questions about, um, uh, you know, who's going to play what position, how they're going to fit in, what it's going to look. So definitely, uh, you know, I, I'm hoping that um, they continue to release video clips as we move forward uh, through this uh, through the through the run up to next season. Yeah, the, that's a whole nother kind of facet or, or storyline that's coming out of the spring is the lack of access not only for the general public and, and COVID restrictions, but also um, very little media access at all to be able to see what's going on um, or hear any of the specifics of what's going on. Um, again, part of that's understandable, but um, the, it's the narrative now is starting to take shape that is it is it going to become a competitive advantage or disadvantage for Michigan um, to not be on the airwaves? You know, the, the, the storyline today is that uh, Michigan state and their spring um, game or, or scrimmage being televised on BTN is that, does that give uh, Michigan state a leg up in any way? Um, I don't know about how much of a functional leg up it is. Um, 
it's nice to be out there and it's nice to energize your fan base either in person or on TV. I certainly wish that there was more access, but I don't know how much that's going to mean in the long run. But um, I, I know that there's a lot of work to do. That's for sure. So if, if this less access means less distractions and, and that means more efficient uh, work being done by the players and coaches behind the scenes, then I'll, then I'll take that trade off. But, but I hope that, that we are getting that value and that there's a lot of work being done behind the scenes that we don't see. So uh, one of the other things that did come out in the photos that were released is that uh, Michigan was split up into a, a maize squad and a blue squad. Um, you know, the maize squad wearing maize from head to toe and the blue squad wearing blue from head to toe. So, um, you know, I, I go back and forth on this. Um, I know that there is a strong, um, okay, personally, I don't care, right? Where I think the Michigan football jerseys are iconic. I think the helmet is iconic. Um, my perspective has always been don't mess with the home uniforms. Um, do whatever you want with the away uniforms. You know, it, it doesn't. It, the, the away uniforms don't mean that much to me, right? Um, also, as a, as a collector of uh, game-worn apparel, um, even the home jerseys change every year, right? So um, there are always little details here and there. So, um, you know, again, I'm always fine with a little tuning on the edges. Go crazy with the away jerseys. Do whatever you want. Um, but I know I have, I have heard... Um, the argument, and, and I have heard recruits talk about this, that um, younger players do get excited about big game uniforms, special uniforms, right? It's it's one of the things that has definitely taken hold. Um, and, and we can make cracks about how Nike likes to sell different, likes uh, big game jerseys or different jerseys so that they can sell more jerseys. Um, but again, we, we've seen this take hold across the collegiate um, uh, landscape, right? So, um, so Clint, just, uh, what did you think when you saw the pictures of the, the all maize and the all blue jerseys, uh, from the spring game? The, the, the initial reaction was, was just surprising that it was so, so different. You know, that is something that is, uh, you know, the program's not one that takes a lot of risk, um, traditionally and, and certainly under Jim Harbaugh also. Um, I, I'm kind of a traditionalist. You and I usually see eye to eye on on messing with typically, you know, the, the visual um, aesthetics of the jerseys. Um, but, you know, so after the initial shock is too strong of a word, but after the initial surprise that they went with the all solid one color, both blue and maize, um, I thought that it looked great. I thought that it looked great. I thought that it looked cool. Again, in a in a practice or scrimmage situation, who cares, right? So anybody that's getting really um, disturbed by by the fact that they did this is, uh, I think, should should probably take a step back and, and a couple deep breaths. But I, I thought that it looked good visually. Um, again, the all maze isn't isn't something that I'm a huge fan of, but I don't I don't hate it either. You know, I think of all the jersey combinations that I've seen recently, uh, actually on the players, the one that I like the least is the all-white robe that we typically wear right now. You know, I 
I really think that the 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 maize pants with the white jersey on the road looks better than the all white that that Harbaugh switched to when he came back as the head coach. But again, it's uh it's at least interesting to talk about. I would be fine if if uh, Michigan came up with alternative color, uh, you know, all the color rush style jerseys, and and I do think that there's a lot of um, truth to the fact that uh, the players and the and the people inside the program, um, it, there's kind of an injection of energy when uh, when you do have those alternative jerseys. I remember after the first under the lights game against Notre Dame, uh, Denard uh, did his post game interview after that last second victory, and uh, even mentioned that that the main thing he wants to know right now is what's happening with these jerseys. You know the the unique kind of uh, maize and blue B pattern jerseys that, that became kind of a, a mark of that 2011 year. So it, it was clear that it mattered to, to him. And I would imagine that it's still very similar for the players that are involved. So um, in the grand scheme of things, it, it should be more about the players and the coaches and the people inside the program. Um, and if that's, that's the main thing driving, uh, you know, rethinking some of the uh, the stodginess that we've had as a program over over our history, then that's fine. You know, if it's if it's more driven by marketing and selling jerseys and and squeezing more revenue out of the fans, then it's a whole lot easier to kind of turn your nose up at. But if if this is something that the players seem generally enthusiastic about, then uh, I support it, even if uh, visually it's not something that I that I love or or don't. So I, I think anything that increases enthusiasm right now inside the program, um, we should, we should take that even if it's at our own uh, personal eyeball cost. So it's interesting. Cause like you said, we often agree. I, I have to say that um, now again, I I'm, I'm going to start off with, I, I love our current home jerseys, the color combination. It's fine. I, I you know, I don't want to see that change. But if they wanted, if they would, and I know there are limitations on on what colors and what you can do, but man, if they could wear the, that all maze look on the road, I like that. It, it's, you know, it's interesting. Um, over the years, uh, you know, the maze has taken a long time to grow on me, but um, I really like, uh, you know, I, you know, personally, I have a number of the maze polos and it's, uh, I've seen through the years too. Um, some prototype maize jerseys that, uh, you know, I, I know some of the apparel makers have been working on and, you know, it's very striking. And like you said, if, if, if it helps generate, um, enthusiasm among the players, um, I'm all for that. I totally agree with you. You know, there's no point in getting Bennett out of shape on what they wear in a, you know, in a spring practice. Um, and, uh, I know that, I have a bitter taste in my mouth because a lot of those uh, big game jerseys came during the Dave Brandon era. Era, and uh, I don't, you know, there's a lot to not like about what happened then. But yeah, if if the players are for it, I'm all for it. And uh, shoot, I I I know that uh, I happen to have one a Maze prototype jersey in my collection, and uh, I would not mind uh, seeing you know Michigan go on the road and, and wear that at some point. So. Again, all good. Um, you know, I, the 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 one downside that I see is, um, you know, 
if if it's to drive enthusiasm among the players, great. Um, you know, one of the things that they say, you know, if you have a product that people aren't excited about, well, you change the packaging, right? Um, I hope that that's not the reason why. Um, and, and again, uh, I think, uh, you know, when we get to talk to the players again, it would be interesting to uh, hear their thoughts on, on what they thought about the, the all maze and all blue look. Yeah, that's the key for me is, is understanding the feedback from from the players and the people actually wearing it. And if, if that's where it comes from, then great. But uh, it would be at least an interesting thing to bring up um, next time that we get player av- availability or, or coach availability to see, um, you know, what they think of of kind of repackaging or, or if this is kind of a motivational tool and or recruiting tool. So it, it's at least a, another angle to to, to increase engagement and, and gives the media and, and us as fans something to kind of um, delve into a little bit in, in what is really, it's the, we're getting into the football desert here where, you know, spring into summer, there's just not much uh, tangible content that that's coming from the program. So most of it is conversations driven by, by stuff like this. All right. Basketball teams are entering the final month of the regular season as they gear up for the playoffs. While some teams are locks to make the playoffs, others are still fighting for their opportunity to chase the trophy this summer. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting you in the center of the action with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in free bets. Turning $1 into $100 is simple. Pick any basketball team to win their next game and, and if during that game the team of your choosing hits a three, you bring home $100 in free bets. That's 100 to 1 odds on the team of your choosing to hit a three. They don't even need to win. This year's teams have been hitting threes at an unprecedented pace. So get in on all the action with DraftKings Sportsbook before this offer ends. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code GOBLUE when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free bets. If the basketball team of your choosing hits a three, that's code GOBLUE to turn $1 into $100 in free bets for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services Gambling Disorder Helpline at 800-270-7117. 21 and over, Michigan only. Eligibility restrictions require. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for full terms and conditions. So, Clint, um, one of the interesting things that... Uh, um, we were discussing you and I uh, in prepping for the podcast is just how much turnover we're going to see on the Michigan football team between this season, you know, this abbreviated season and, and next season. And uh, it's really, it's really quite striking, you know, and I know uh, on the podcast, um, you know, when there was some, uh, Boy, I don't know if you say doubt, if there was some heartburn on whether Jim Harbaugh was going to sign his contract. Um, There were some in the uh, fan community, um, I don't want to say hoping, but but questioning whether if a new coach came in, it wouldn't be time for a reboot, right? 
And I know one of the things we covered in, in one of our previous podcasts was, you know, when Harbaugh signed his contract and reshuffled his coaching staff, we really got, you know, kind of a reboot, kind of a mini reboot, right? And when I look at the changes on the coaching staff, coupled with the number of players who are entering the draft and the number of players who have transferred and graduated, we're really going to see a remarkable amount of turnaround. And, you know, again, the the thing that strikes me is it's it's almost as if we did get a new coach, right? While Harbaugh is here with the amount of turnover we're seeing on staff and, and on the roster, it's it's going to be a substantially different team uh, taking the field in Ann Arbor in the fall. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Um, I, I, I don't know. I think it's a little bit of a stretch to say that it's it's uh, the equivalent of a new head coach. I think Harbaugh's uh, philosophies and, and personality are are strong enough or, or unique enough or, or eccentric enough, depending on your point of view, that uh, – that it's still going to be pretty clear, you know, where his thumbprints are uh, on the the program. But, um, you know, we've seen this be successful uh, elsewhere as well. You know, Brian Kelly and Notre Dame coming off their four and eight year um, did something very similar. And, and you don't have this much change in the foundations of your program, both personnel and, and cultural without kind of adjusting, you know, your own internal um, practices and, and philosophy as well, you know, and I think, I, I think Jim Harbaugh in, you know, for all of his faults and for, for many shortcomings and, and for the record being what it is, I, I think that he has shown a, a clear willingness to, to change. Um, and that includes changing uh, himself, you know, that I'm, I'm reminded most clearly uh, of kind of modernizing the offensive approach and, and bringing in Josh Gaddis. Now the, the results haven't, have not been, you know, catapulted to the next stratosphere. Um, when we went from Pep Hamilton to, to Josh Gaddis, you know, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean yet. I, I think that there's still an opportunity for that step forward to, to happen. Um, I think you you took a risk and rolled the dice on a on a guy, giving him a chance to be a, a first time offensive coordinator, and I think the learning curve, um, you know, w- was pretty steep for for Josh Gaddis. And then the 2020 season had all COVID caveats that that apply to it. So um, we will see exactly how um, change treats the the program. You know, I think it was the right call to modernize the offense. Um, I think 19 was uh, about level with 18, very similar in the metrics, you know, and then did not take that step forward in 2020. So uh, we really we really need to see whether they can take that step forward in, in 21, um, wh- what they did not take in, in 2020. So if you apply that across all of these, changes and, and, and different practices and, and a shift in philosophy that we're hearing coming out of spring ball. Um, it's going to come with uh, a little bit of heartburn that comes with all change, but we may be unlocking some doors and, and may be able to take a few steps forward um, 
after ironing out the uh, the initial wrinkles and and we we can hope that uh things start to come together and and we can see success when it matters the most in the middle and, and toward the end of the season and i think that's that's got to be the goal it's got to be the goal to kind of hold things together as everybody is is kind of learning their new spots new roles early in the season and uh hopefully things start to click and gel and uh Michigan has the opportunity to win to win the big games that we care about especially in the Big 10 and the rivalry games and and finally getting back onto uh competitive footing with uh with the Buckeyes what's interesting to me when i look at the list right is on the transfer side you're losing potentially a huge chunk of uh top line guys on the offensive side right um and and again you can you can question whether joe milton was the you know would have come back and been the starter but he was definitely in the mix right so what i was surprised is you know if you look at the names you know you had dylan mccaffrey decide to set out the season and and you know he he was gone in advance right but you know i was surprised when joe milton decided to transfer Surprise, uh, Christian Turner, surprised by Zach Charbonnet. You know, there's those are two, you know, guys who had who had shown at times in the previous seasons that they could they could be real, real weapons. And then again, really shocked by Giles Jackson. Right. And uh, interesting that, you know, we're going to get to see him play because uh, he's transferring to Michigan's first opponent of next season. Right. So. um, So here's a question for you, Clint. Of all the guys who are going into the NFL draft, potentially, which guy would you bring back if you had an opportunity? If you could wave a wand and convince them to come back and or give them another year of eligibility, who do you think would be the biggest difference maker for, could be the difference maker for Michigan next season? Yeah, that's a really, that's a really great question. Um, Thought provoking question. And I, I think I would link my answer to the same thing that I said in our preseason discussion last year about Ambry Thomas when he opted out. That really hurt, I think, the program more than um, you know, more than we knew, even more than I was thinking right at that moment. So, I I personally think that if I could bring one guy back right now onto this team for twenty one, it would be Ambry Thomas. Um. I, I think he's a great player. I think he was really poised to take another big step forward uh, in 2020. I think he's going to take another step forward and, and be a contributor as a rookie in the NFL. But really, it's more about just the glaring need that Michigan has right now at corner uh, on this defense and the leadership that's going to be required to um, successfully transition to uh, to Mike McDonald's defense. I think we need him in all of those ways more so than, than anybody else. Um, Quiddy Pay is obviously a, 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 an outstanding NFL prospect and is going to have a great career, but I think we have other guys that will be able to better fill those shoes on the defensive line. Um, I think Nico Collins was criminally underused <laughs> offensively. And then his opt-out last year really hurt when I think we were going to be able to really 
leverage his talents and, and make him a, a great downhill th- or down field threat. Um, I think he was going to have a huge 2020 year and uh, opted out and, and didn't get a chance to come back. So all of those hurt a lot in different ways, but the gap in the defensive backfield on this 21 team would 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 point me to to saying that I wish Ambry Thomas was on the roster. You know, it's interesting when I look at the the list of these guys. I wonder if Nico Collins could have or would have had the biggest impact last season for Joe Milton, right? Another tall, um, you know, skilled wide receiver downfield. If if that had. Uh, you know, been able to spark the the offense in ways that we didn't see. Um, heading into next year, you know, it, it's not the sexiest position, but, uh, you know, we're going to have, um, you know, a new quarterback, right, or a quarterback with very little experience, um, no matter who is under center. You know, with all the churn in the offensive line, I'm wondering if I'm going to miss Jalen Mayfield the most. Um, just as a as a solid piece of the offensive line, um, definitely gonna you know be interested to see what the uh, you know the the new coach there brings. Um, and, you know, and again, you look at it, and with uh, you know um, Sharon Moore moving over, um, I'm sure that. Well, I'm not sure. I would guess that he would love to have another. You know. Uh, top quality starter to, to have in the mix to solidify the offensive line while the offense is getting, uh, you know, getting its feet. Cause you know, we can talk about the offense being ahead of the defense in spring ball, but we're really going to need the offense to be firing on all cylinders when the season starts, because I think we're going to continue to see the defense try to find its way a little bit. And, uh, uh, the more you can bring to the offense and the more, uh, um, protection you could bring to the quarterback may be one of the biggest things. So, um, you know, and then, you know, when I look at, you know, the guys who decided to transfer, um, you know, I, I, I'm a, I'm a big believer that special teams can be a difference maker, right? Especially when you're a team like Michigan that is trying to claw its way up to beat Ohio state, to beat the top tier powers, um, you know, uh, a performer on special teams can be all the difference. So uh, I, I'm really going to miss Giles Jackson. So just, you know, blazing speed. And uh, again, we talked about that perhaps it wasn't working out in the wide receiver room for him. Um, uh, I thought he showed he showed really great um, potential on special teams returning the ball. So I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, that is a gap that they're going to be able to fill. Yeah, I, I agree with that also. I agree with that also. I think um, the transfers, you know, in the last few years, there's there's a lot being made right now about the the number of scholarship transfers that are that are exiting Michigan's program. Again, I think that they're probably in the middle of what I would expect for a, a Power Five program, um, it, and it's only going to increase as the uh, the rules change with the uh, the transfer portal and uh, immediate eligibility, which we expect to be on the books here in the coming months with the NCAA. Um, so you're going to have to solve this problem uh, regardless, you know, no matter which school you're at. 
uh, if Michigan is is dealing with it now more than others, then they've got a leg up on trying to solve the problem, I would think. I don't think that it's a, a sign of any major concerns. Every every kid that transferred, there's um there there's a pretty reasonable explanation that sits right there on the uh, on the surface, um, usually tied to opportunity and, and playing time and, and their ability to be successful from uh, from an in- individual standpoint. And you can't really argue with that, you know. But in terms of impact on the team, also. Um, the the only transfers off the top of my head that um, ended up being uh, contributors elsewhere and in Power Five programs that that I think um, there's probably some regret from the from within uh, you know from within Schembechler are, are probably the corner uh, Benjamin St. Juiced who who kind of got processed and and Michigan you know wasn't really clear about why uh, why he exited the program. There were some injury questions and some health questions. Uh, obviously, he cleared all the bars to, to be a, a contributor for Minnesota um, and, and was a very solid corner. So last year, as Michigan struggled in coverage, um, you know, that name kept kind of popping into my head about, uh, you know, I, I wish they had found a way to, hold on to St. Juiced, but, you know, again, he, he probably, the situation was different with Ambry Thomas opting out and uh, what position he may have seen for himself in, in Ann Arbor. And then, uh, you know, Mike DeWormfor transferred to Rutgers, um, you know, had a pretty productive game even against Michigan last year uh, and, and had a fine season at defensive tackle. It's another position that was, you know, uh, glaringly, uh, shallow. We did not have enough depth really in the 2020 season in those, those interior defensive line spots would have been nice to have him back on the roster, but it, uh, didn't work out that way. Um, I, I think outside of those two guys off the top of my head, not many of the transfers went elsewhere and were major contributors to where there was kind of, uh, major regret. Um, you know, but, but regardless, as you and I have said, this is an individual decision made by individual players. You know, if uh, if we played this game with all of the recruits that decided to go somewhere else, you know, you, you could be talking about it forever. So um, you, you got to do the best that you can with the guys that are in your room in that in that building in Ann Arbor right now, and and go forward the best that you can. And and I think a lot of the cultural changes and, and philosophical changes and, and trying to inject some energy and enthusiasm into the program, I think we could take that as evidence that um, Jim Harbaugh and, and the coaching staff and the program are trying to address uh, some of those um, indirect factors uh, on trying to keep people here, trying to keep kids here. But in the end, at the end of the day, it's going to be about whether they have an opportunity to be successful on the field and, and, and take the next step in their own playing career. So um, more to come, more to see. I think it's it's worth looking at, but I'm not uh, hitting the panic button as of right now. So uh, speaking of changes, um, you know, we talked a lot about how Jim Harbaugh has shuffled the coaching staff. An interesting position was posted uh, recently. Um, football director of player personnel. So it looks like uh, there is an opening 
on Harbaugh's staff. We don't know if this is a new position or if it's uh, there's a or if there's going to be some continued shuffling around. So um, this just came up, uh, and you know when these things get posted, it, it's really not a, an open cattle call, right? Um, it usually means, well, almost always means that they have someone in mind, and um, you know they have to go through the. Uh, through the uh, official channels to do to do a posting because uh, U of M is a public university and technically anybody could apply, um, but again usually they have someone in mind. So it's going to be interesting to see. Um, it says uh, this position is responsible for assisting the coaching staff and directing all aspects of re- recruiting prospective student athletes to the University of Michigan football program. So what's going to be interesting is. If this is a new position, if there's going to be shuffle, some shuffling, and obviously we will keep an eye on this over the next week or so as this position is filled and, and what it may mean for other people on the staff. Yeah, it's a good catch by you. It does it does give us one more thing to kind of check and see um, what type of impact um, the, and the culture change that is, that's clearly underway. Um, I think this is probably uh, another step towards the youth movement and, and being able to relate to high school age kids and, and young you know, college kids and players that are already on the roster. Um, so, you know, you've got to kind of transverse a whole nother uh, social media and, and social world um, to be able to be successful with uh, the kids that are, that are football prospects today. So we'll, we'll see what, what other information comes out of that and, and hopefully it's a, it's a net gain for the program one way or the other. Definitely. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go blue. Thank you for listening to the umgoblue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for umgoblue.com on iTunes. Go Blue!